Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. When I was a little boy, I loved to read the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, I read them over and over and over and over again. Don't worry, they're, they're, Jeanette, they're less nerdy than uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, funnily enough, a few years back when Shantae and I went away for a few days, I found the exact same set that I had as a kid as an, at an antique dealership. And I quickly bought them. They were like 10 bucks and I was like, sold. And I bought them and, and still enjoy them uh, to this day. And, and some may know the Chronicles of Narnia from the, the movies that were released, which were of varying uh, quality from outright terrible to okay. But everybody knows that one of the central figures throughout all of the stories is this figure of Aslan the lion. And we know that Aslan is a type of Jesus. Well, actually, it's wrong to say that. Aslan actually he is Jesus, right, in the books. He's not just like a representation of it. He even tells the kids in one of the books, he's like, you know me in your world. And they're like, no, we don't. And he's like, yeah, you do. You just know me by another name. So he's not just a type. He actually is Christ, even though he's in the form of this huge lion. And in the books, Aslan frolics and he plays with the kids and he even lets them ride him sometimes. But in the books, he's also a little stern sometimes and kind of dangerous. And we're told in an off-quoted line, uh, I think from the line of the witch in the wardrobe, they'll say, he says, he's, sa he's not safe. Somebody asks if Aslan is safe. He's like, no, he's not safe, but he's good. And while reading up for my sermon, I was reminded of something that Lewis wrote about goodness being the great safety or the great danger according to how we react to that goodness. So if a figure that can be safe and heartwarming and kind and loving and also bring healing can also be a figure who even in the light of his apparent goodness uh, can be seen as by those who either refuse to see or outright reject him as, as dangerous. And it's often said that one of the most repeated commands in the Bible is the command to fear not. The reasons for this command are varied and arise due to different situations and circumstances. This text, though, is a little different, and at the very beginning of it, it says to have no fear. Well, all right. But then right after that, it tells us, after the text says, don't be afraid, it then says, uh, you should fear. <laughs> so you might be sitting there scratching your head thinking, well, which is it? Should we fear or should we not fear? So let's dig into this a little bit and see what's going on. So at the beginning of it, we heard it read, have no fear of them. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So a few, a few verses before this, in this chapter, Jesus does something. He sends the disciples out to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, and to cast out demons. He is sending them out in his name to do the work that he himself is doing. He sends them out in his name and in his power. And I like to think of this as practical on-the-job training on the job training. I was in a cell phone store uh, a couple weeks ago and I was talking to the person who worked there while they were looking in the back for something. And they were like, I'm new, I don't know, I have to ask somebody. So I said, well, how long are you training? And then they told me, oh, a couple weeks. And I said, well, what's your training like? And they said, well, 
they used to like send us all to a location to sit and train, but now what they do is, is they just do it over video. So like Zoom conferencing, right? It's over essentially like FaceTime for business where there's no actual interpersonal interaction at a location. It's all virtual all over the place. Imagine you who are in the military. Imagine, right, if all of your experience was virtual. Imagine if basic training wasn't you running and exercising and be giving a, a rifle and learning how to disassemble it and to reassemble it, you know, with your blindfolds on or to strip it and to clean it and to put it back together. And then the marksmanship stuff that you have to do, especially if you're in the Marine Corps, their, their marksmanship program, every, every person has to be a marksman. So they have to know how to shoot better than the other branches of the service. Sorry, Army people. My dad was in the Army, but that's just kind of the way it is, right? Imagine if all of that was just... Imagine if the training for weapons in the military was they sat you down, they gave you a controller, and they put on Call of Duty Modern Warfare and say, okay, play this for three months and you'll be good to go. That would be ridiculous, right? Like people would, that might desensitize you a little bit to, to some violence maybe, but it's not going to prepare you for how to take apart a gun and to clean it and to strip it. And then all of the stress that comes with learning how to be a soldier. Right? It's kind of like what's happening here with the disciples, right? Jesus is preparing them to go out, right? In, in the book of Acts, we're going to see this. As he ascends, as he goes, he's going to send them out on a mission, and they need to be prepared for it. They need to be trained for it. And so all of this is part of that preparation. Jesus tells them, this is not going to go well for you sometimes, they're going to hand you over to be flogged. They're going to drag you before kings and governors. You're going to be hated. Your family members are going to fight. And then Jesus says, also, remember that time they said that my power comes from Beelzebub, the chief evil demon? And the disciples are like, yeah. And Jesus says, if they said that about me, how much worse are you going to get it than I did? Because I'm the master, you're my servants. It's going to be even worse for you. They're going to say even worse things about you. They're actually going to work towards the, the, the ill for you worse than they did with me. And that's a heck of a warning to them about the cost of following Jesus. And it's also a warning to us, brothers and sisters, as what's possible for us as we follow him in our own day, in our own time. And that's what leads then into his words to them to not fear. So we have to ask the question, then what's the one thing that the powers that be can do to them that would instill the greatest fear in them? What's the worst thing that could ever happen to you, right? The threat of physical death and a threat of physical violence and death. That's the greatest threat to people in these situations, to them. And these enemies of the message of Jesus, they have the power to do this, right? We even see this in the time just after Christ's ascension, right? Paul, before his, his conversion, he is on the road <laughs> looking for Christians to imprison. This is happening already, before, right after Jesus ascends. This obviously would lead any one of us to be afraid. And it's going to lead to them all fleeing at his arrest later on in the Gospel of Matthew. But later on, they will all follow Christ to their own deaths. And that's a pattern, brothers and sisters, for us. And the other day, I, I read an article from a writer that's visiting Russia, and he's spending time with a, a Christian who had been placed 
in a gulag for becoming a Christian, right? This is during the height of communism, and he became, uh, he became a Christian and was thrown into the jail. And they had to isolate him because he kept, even though he wasn't a Christian minister or a priest, he kept hearing people's confessions and they kept coming to him and he kept praying with them and ministering Christ to them. So they're like, this is terrible. We need to isolate. So they wound up isolating him. And in the middle of the night, he said this old guard with wild, crazy eyes came into his cell. And he was like, oh, what's going to happen? And the guard's like, I, I have to talk. And the guy says, well, you better confess what you've done. And the guard told a story about when he was younger, how they led a group of Christian priests out into the forest. Uh, and then when they got to a location, executed every one of them after asking them if they believed in God and they affirmed Christ. And they all, in the face of death, answered yes. What is it then that even though they were undoubtedly scared, gave them the power to spit in the face of the threat of death. More on that shortly. Jesus said, let's look a, bit, a little bit about the hidden being revealed. Jesus said, nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. This means, brothers and sisters, that the machinations of those who rise up to persecute them will be dragged kicking and screaming into the light of day. The plans of the evil one and the evil spiritual forces arrayed against God who animate human opposition to the gospel, will have their day in the light. That every false witness, that every act of torture and violence and persecution and blasphemy used to try and thwart the kingdom of God will come to nothing. As St. Theophilac noted, the truth will not be hidden, but time will reveal your virtue as well as the wickedness of those who slander you. So we have this contrast, right, between the plans of God that Jesus tells them to proclaim openly and without fear, and the plans of their enemies as they skulk and hide and plot and scheme against them. But God will shine light on that scheming, on that wickedness, and what Jesus has been teaching them in private, what they've seen him do, what he's taught, and the work he tasks them with, they are to do it publicly, and he uses this imagery of proclaiming it from the housetops, right? Back then, the houses kind of had flat roofs, so you could stand up so everybody could kind of see you. If you've ever seen the YouTube documentary, Rattle and Hum, it's kind of like when they go up to the top of the building and they have the concert and everyone's kind of gathered in the street and Bono's like, hey, everybody, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's you too. Kind of like that, on the housetop, visible, easy for everyone to see and everyone to hear, right? Their message is not to be hidden. It is to be widely and fearlessly spread. So in that light, then, they are to not fear their enemies, even if their enemies have the power to harm and kill them, because their enemy's ability to harm and kill them is of no consequence in the light of the fear of God. So let's look at this portion about fearing him. Jesus said, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So brothers and sisters, right off the bat, we have to acknowledge any talk about hell is, is hard for us to hear. We don't want there to be any punishment for the things that we've done now. How much more after we stand before the judgment seat of, of Christ? But Jesus is saying to them, in the light of, ability of, of the ability of God to bring actual destruction, right? The destruction reserved for the wicked in the end of time at the last day. Any fear of dying at the hands of their enemies is misplaced because only God has the power to determine this, right? The point here is, when Jesus says, fear him who can destroy the body and soul in hell, he's not saying, like, cower and be afraid that God is going to get you. What he's saying is, only God's power extends beyond this life, right? So the power of their enemies has a limit, right? It has a set point in time. The worst thing that their enemies can do to them 
is kill them in the here and now, right? And Jesus' point here is that only the power of God, the power of the God who they serve, only in the power of the God who is sending them out extends beyond this present time and is not limited by this present time. So what awaits them is better than anything that comes against them at this present point. So by way of example of this, about not being afraid, in the Deuterocanonical book of 2 Maccabees, there's a story of a wicked king, Antiochus, who's, who's trying to get a mother and her many sons to violate the Torah, and, and each one chooses to, to die instead of denying God. And one son even says to the Antiochus, one cannot but choose to die at the hands of mortals and to cherish the hope God gives of being raised again by him. But for you, there will be no resurrection to life. And one of the disciples of St. John was a bishop of the early church named St. Ignatius, and he was arrested and sent to Rome to be killed. And then rather than try to hide, he used the opportunity to write letters to various churches. And he said to them, to the church in Rome, he wrote, I am the wheat of God, and let me be ground by the teeth of the wild beasts, that I may be found the pure bread of Christ. Right? Because St. Ignatius knew, the apostles knew, that God, the power of God extends beyond this life. And any hardship that they come up against, anything that comes against them that tries to harm them is insignificant in the light of eternity. And Jesus follows this up with this affirmation, right? So everyone who, he talks about the sparrow and knowing them, and he says, anyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven, right? So <laughs> I've talked about this before, but like, it's like this verse that's always used at youth group. When you're in high school and the, you know, the teacher is, is teaching something you disagree with, are you going to stand for Jesus and uh, Jesus will stand before you before God? Are you going to deny Jesus and let the, the wicked teacher get away with what he's doing, right? Kind of try to scare us a little bit. That's not what's going on here, right? This is tied in directly with what we've been talking about, though. Those who maybe, even if they are afraid, embrace death, shouting from the rooftops the good news of Jesus, they can have confidence that they will be acknowledged when they are brought into the presence of God, that they did not love their own lives to death, as we see in the book of Revelation. And brothers and sisters, this continues in our own time. A few years ago, an event stunned the world when 21 Coptic Christians were kidnapped, taken to a beach, and beheaded by ISIS. And all of them died in faith, praying to Christ and singing hymns. And this shocks us in the West sometimes because generally we have a live and let live attitude, right? We in the States, we rejoy, enjoy religious protection, right? Protection for our religious practices. So for many people, religion is nothing more than a useful tool, something that we use to shape our lives by, to give us some ethics that we can try and use as a measuring stick so we can convince ourselves that we're nice people at our core. But the hard sayings of Jesus, particularly the one we're dealing with today, shake us because they ask more from us than we are ready to give sometimes. And we'll, we'll wrap all of this up at the last Sunday, November, on Christ the King. Right? But these sayings in this series, I hope, have been challenging to you. They've been challenging to me because the way Jesus calls us to live, the way he calls us to serve, is so radical that it's beyond comprehension sometimes. And that's hard for us to hear, brothers and sisters, and it's kind of even hard for us to do. But if we're going to 
take his name, <laughs> then we have to give it serious consideration. And the fear of retribution from the world can keep us sometimes from taking necessary stands when appropriate because sometimes it's easier to not say anything and keep our heads down than face coming persecution. But who do we fear more here? Right? Do we fear those who have very real power over us? Or do we fear the one in whom we live and move and have our being? Instead of taking a stand when needed, will we let fear of the surrounding culture keep us from doing what we need to do? Right? And I saw something in the news, and I post, if you follow me online, I posted something about it the other day, where in the work to try and improve health and care, I think that the killing of the unborn remains a massive blind spot. So much so that the new head of the National Abortion Federation is an Episcopal priest. And abortion, even when hidden in the language of reproductive justice, is still, it's still a great evil of our age. And as I'm standing here saying this, you might be starting to feel uncomfortable. Oh, no, he's talking about this. Oh, oh. well, good. <laughs> that should make you uncomfortable. It should make us uncomfortable that this exists. It should make us uncomfortable that it's allowed. And even this person who was appointed as the head performs services of blessing for this. Brothers and sisters, to follow Christ means to take stands against things that are evil, that are wicked. But to follow Christ also isn't just taking those stands against wickedness like that. To follow in the way of Christ also means to actually do something against it, right? And legislation and stuff is good. But brothers and sisters, we actually, if we have the opportunity, need to do something, right? So women who are put in this awful position have something to choose other than death. It's not enough to just say, no, this is bad, and it is. We as the church, we as followers of Jesus Christ, on an issue that the church has been in agreement with since the beginning up until a few decades ago, what can we do to alleviate the suffering that drives people to make those awful choices? This should make you uncomfortable. And if it, did, if it does, then I'm happy. <laughs> because it's not my job just to stand up here and to, and to preach things that you want to hear, right? It's, as, part, as a minister of the gospel, it's my job to preach things that we need to hear. And I need to hear it just as much, sometimes even more than you might. And as we begin to look at ways here at our church where we can help, the stands that we can begin to take against what we see around us, <clears throat> excuse me, who are we more afraid of? The God of whom we serve? The God who saved us? The God who granted us his, his precious salvation that we don't deserve, that there's nothing that we could do to earn it, but the God who loved us enough to give himself for us? What do we fear more? People who could come against us and say, that's bad. 
we're going to cancel you. Are we more afraid of cancel culture or are we more afraid of the God who tasks us to do hard things, to take uncomfortable stands, to stand against the evil of our age, like I talked about last week, like the great saints of the past? And depending on how we respond, brothers and sisters, to our task and our mission, the goodness of God, God is either the great goodness or the great danger. Where are we taking stands? I'll ask you, brothers and sisters. Where are you extending the kingdom of God in your own personal lives? As individuals, right? Us as a church. Where are we as a church taking stands? Where are we as a church living out the good news of Jesus Christ? And as we begin to do things, it may lead to persecution for us as a church or as individuals, right? Hardship. We don't like that because our entire culture is conditioned to make things easy. But our faith is not easy. It asks of us hard things. Right? Just like a soldier gearing up to be deployed. Right? Our faith asks us to do hard things. And in the light of that, who do we fear more? Do we fear God or do we fear our culture? Christ, we have the answer in him, right? He gave himself for us. And in light of that, we can do no other. And so to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and as all holy, good, and life-giving spirit. Amen. For listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. We pray that these sermons have been a blessing to you, and we ask that you would help us out if you could. We are in desperate need of some major repairs. If you could go to a GoFundMe we've set up, gofundme.com slash save Zion Stone. If you could uh, go there and uh, donate towards uh, our needs, we would be greatly appreciative of that. Again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you want to get a hold of me, you can reach out at malandsman at gmail.com or check us out on our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, as well as our uh, website, zionstoneucc.com. God bless.